Recorded live. Believe it or not, we are at pretty much the end of the college football season. There's a handful of games left to be played, championship game, Army-Navy, and then bowl season. But if you are a person who uh, obsesses or spends their time or whatever it is, uh, you know, you've got... uh, We've got a lot of work to do uh, now to figure out, you know, the last few things, putting the finishing touches on your uh, your rankings and taking a look at coaching carousel, taking a look at players that might transfer uh, between now and the next season. A lot of people are talking about, you know, Wilton's space and where he might land and all that good stuff. And there's going to be discussions always of uh, the the playoffs, right? Playoffs. Uh, you know, we we have to figure out who the top four teams are, and obviously the championship games of the ACC, the Big Twelve, the SEC. And and even perhaps the Big Ten. Uh, we'll see what happens. Obviously, Big Ten. Uh, if Wisconsin wins out, I don't see how you keep them out. I don't know why there hasn't been a little more love for Wisconsin, other than the fact that they're a little dull, maybe, and uh, they don't play the sexiest non-conference schedule on the planet Earth. I mean, we'd all love them to play Auburn or somebody that. But, uh, but yeah, so here we are doing the thing. So let's do it. And I say I've been joined by my friend and colleague, Mr. Jim Coburn. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, sir. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, of course, um, I don't know what particular thing they call what you guys just did uh, in Alabama with Having won the state, I suppose. But tell me, uh, what? How, how are how are you guys doing? What's what's the what's going on in Auburn land? It's going pretty well. Uh, the in in terms of beating Alabama, beating Alabama is not a very common thing, obviously, um, especially recently. Uh, usually, when you beat Alabama, it's because of some kind of fluke or miracle or something like that, you know, that usually happens. So this has definitely been uh, a fun uh, game. And it also was pretty fun because this was the first win that didn't really feel like a miracle in the right. sense that <laughs> it, it, it was a win that – Nothing bounced off of anything else. Right. There wasn't yeah. an earthquake that unbalanced something. Yeah, good point. Yeah, it was just sort of a game that just kind of happened and Alabama didn't really – uh, at least Jalen Hurts in particular just wasn't re- – they weren't really uh, ready to play from behind, essentially. It's kind of my biggest takeaway is that, you know, they don't – they're not used to having to come back from, you know, more than one touchdown, you know, in those kind of situations. So they just kind of freaked out a bit, and then it just kind of ended, and then Auburn won. So it was just one of those types of things where – I just like that was basically the game to me. It was like, okay, yeah, we're up and we're up again, and it just kind of ended. You know, there wasn't a ton of 
you know, really excitement. But yeah, it, it was probably the first, at least to me, a satisfying win in the sense of in Bill Belichick's world, you know, like, would you rather have the crazy finish or would you rather just have the, the very sort of long methodical, eventually they give in and you, and you win type win. And it was just more so like that. So, um, but yeah, definitely a big win for Auburn, obviously. I mean, I was, not a hundred percent surprised. I thought it was going to be competitive because Auburn this entire year has been pretty decent in many different games. You know, they've had, they've had some quality wins. Uh, they have a offense that can put points on the board. They have a quarterback who isn't terrible when, in you know, other years they do. Uh, their defense is not too shabby either. So I felt like it was going to be competitive and Alabama would have, you know, win, but this definitely, was uh you know a good sort of sign of hey you know we can do this you know we can do this type thing uh which which always kind of happens i mean the bottom line is is the alabama to me is always going to be the rich the richer team you know like because it's just always been like that i mean the more the the, the people that are rich usually go to alabama you know the, the people that drink the tea with the pinky up you know that mentality uh, if you will. So they're, they're always going to be the wealthy ones. You know, they're always going to have all the championships. They're always going to have all that stuff. But Auburn is, you know, the more blue collar, you know, the more hardworking, you know, like they get into, you know, the, the, the grittier kind of field and eventually, you know, they, they win, you know, so it's, you know, they're kind of the underdog, you know, and that definitely kind of shows that whenever you, whenever you get a win like that, it definitely kind of feels good, you know, like, yeah, you know, we stuck it to them, you know, that type of thing. Right, so fielding, not fielding Mellish, that's the wrong um, Roddy Dangerfield film. Um, I can't remember the name of his character in, because um, uh, fielding, fielding Mellish was the character he was in old school. Um, oh, my God. Um, I'm blanking on the Roddy Dangerfield character's name in um, in Caddyshack. But, but I guess what you're saying, essentially the, you know, the, the plucky, uh, you know, worn down, you know, at the heel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're the slot. It's, it's the classic. Yeah, it's the classic slobs versus snobs kind of. You know, kind of comedy. Right. You yeah. know, it, it it really is. I mean, you know, you you have that sort of uh, dynamic there. Uh, so it, yeah, it definitely you know, works to certain. I mean, because again, being an Auburn fan, you're always happy. Even if you lose Alabama, you're happy because. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, Alabama takes losses worse. You know, when Alabama loses, people end up getting oh. killed. Yes, uh, yes they know, do take when, losses far worse. <laughs> when Auburn loses, meh, you know, hey, we, we weren't expecting to win. So, no big deal. You know, like, it's just one of those types of things. So, but, uh, you know, but that's just kind of the different dynamics, you know, because you, know, you got high status versus, you know, kind of medium status sort of situation. But, um but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely kind of like that, you know, when when both those teams kind of play each other, you have that kind of dynamic going on, you know, when when you're talking about both those teams. And it seems like the running back wing of draft Twitter fell in love, or maybe fell in love again with another Auburn running back. Uh, not that he hasn't been balling out all year, but I guess it was one of those things where everybody noticed carry on. Uh, tell me about him as a player, and what what does your work tell you about what might be in the future for for that young man? 
Well, based on film, I mean, he's a he's a solid back. I mean, he's a big back. He can mm-hmm. bring tackles. He can, uh, you know, he's solid, solidly built kind of guy. I don't think he's amazing. I mean, again, he played well, but it's like Jared Stidham beats Alabama, and all of a sudden Jared Stidham is QB1. Like, you can't <laughs> take that mentality. Just because you beat Alabama doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're the greatest thing to, you know, slice bread, you know. Uh, but, I mean, Johnson's a solid back. I mean, he kind of he kind of had – maybe not Alex Collins per se, you know, but he definitely has some – you know, some grittiness, some kind of solidness to to him, uh, and, and production wise, kind of graded out more as like a starter uh, in terms of his uh, in terms of his profile. But there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, I mean, we got Alvin Kamara. You know, has kind of a starter profile. You know, in terms of his production, um, which that always again, because again, when I'm talking about production, I'm talking about market share. Because there's a lot of people. I get tweeted at a lot from people. They're like, oh, you should, you know, they get into arguments with people about a player's market share production. And they go, oh, yeah, well, you should follow James's work. He'll prove me right. And then I go, well, actually, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> yes, he has okay production. <laughs> I'm just saying, like. Here's the twist. Here's the twist in it, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, it's kind of different. Because I know some people, oh, well, he has 1,000 yards. You know, he his production's fine. What are you talking about? Like, yeah, but he had a thousand yards and a seven thousand yard offense. You know, I mean, if he had a thousand yards and a four thousand yard offense, that'd, that'd be you know a little bit more uh, impressive, I guess. Is, is all I'm trying to say. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Tyrion Johnson's pretty. You know, he's a decent back. He's a solid back. He's a classic SEC back. He he reminds me of like all the backs that Bill Belichick's ever drafted from the SEC because. Oh. Because he tends to, you know, he tends to get those Ben Jarvis Green Ellises and Brandon Boldens and uh, you know, and all those other, you know, Anthony Dixon. I don't think ever ended up on the Patriots, but he def Anthony Dixon probably would have at some point if he kept playing, you know, plugging away. He probably would have ended up on the Patriots, you know. Gotcha, and. Uh, last but not least, there's usually a lot of tweeting and gushing and gifting about the defensive line, pass rushers and whatnot. And, of course, Dylan Moses is a freak of nature. And, you know, he's – I go back to sort of the D.J. Williams time when he was at uh, Miami where there was a genuine discussion of if he – as good as he was, I mean, it's an All-American, but if he were playing out of position, there are people who still thought – he, were, he would have been a better running back. And of course, Dylan Moses is another guy who his running back tape from high school is uh, silly, uh, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, he, 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 he was a man amongst boys, I guess is probably a way to put it, as a running back. And, of course, equally impressive as a, um, as a linebacker, not surprisingly as much. But, I mean, he, he was, he's fun to watch, obviously, and, you know, we use the term grandma scouting. You don't have to know a whole lot about football to spot Dylan Moses on a football field. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, according to the work that you do, and we'll start with defensive line, are there players that you think from either team or both teams 
that look like they have a good shot to be long-term successful professionals? And if, who and why? Sure. Uh, you, you mean uh, defensive tackles or? Well, both. I mean, defensive oh, okay. tackles and the quote-unquote edge which is the term right, is, you know, right, I right, absolutely right. loathe, but, you know, whatever. Edge rusher, pass, pass rusher, rusher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're rushing off the edge, you know, you're doing that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, edge rushers, uh, I mean, just pass rushers in general, I guess they kind of break that those kind of things up. Uh, Bradley Chubb definitely kind of, you know, kind of fits the bill in terms of every sort of uh, production metric. Uh, Harold Landry. Also, uh, Anthony Winbush, uh, Ogbania from Oklahoma is definitely one of those guys as well. And there's like a couple other guys that, like Anthony Nelson at Iowa, but he's kind of a redshirt sophomore. Uh, they're, you know, that are they're kind of guys that are kind of in the in between kind of area. Like Auburn has another one, like Jeff Holland, for example, at Auburn. Uh, but he's more of a junior, so there's kind of some questions, I guess, with, um, you know, whether he comes out or not. Uh, Antonio Simmons at Georgia Tech kind of sticks out a bit as well. Um, defensive tackle-wise, I mean, there definitely is Maurice Hurst, of course, from Michigan. You know, he's a guy that's been getting a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of buzz back in November. And, of course, Jarek Nandi is kind of the other sort of proverbial kind of guy that kind of sticks out the most uh, from uh, a nose tackle perspective, mainly. Uh, Jerron Payne also kind of has a nose tackle kind of feel to his uh, production as well. And, uh, and of course, Hercules Mata'afa is, uh, you know, another guy that kind of, you know, continually sticks out uh, for, for the most part. But defensive attack, I mean, edge-wise, there's been a lot of guys that have kind of been constant. There hasn't really been too many surprises. Defensive tackles also been kind of constant in terms of uh, different guys kind of sticking out for the most part. But um, I would say those would probably be the big, the biggest kind of standouts, you know, like if, like if defensive tackle, like just production wise defensive tackle, Maurice Hurst would probably be the biggest kind of standout with him. But none of these defensive tackles, I would say have like an elite level production kind of mark. They just have really good production marks. So, you know, they're guys that have that starter level, maybe a little bit better. Maybe they might have like a multiple pro bowl type career, but they don't quite have that. Uh, they don't quite have like every single, like a JJ Watt or Aaron Donald or, uh, you know, or, or, uh, uh, or, or a Warren Sapp, you know, like uh, production career, you know, for the most part. There, is, there really isn't any guys that are like that, except for Ed Oliver, and, of course, he's not draft eligible. So. <laughs> right, uh, yes, not quite that. Yes. We'll have to wait at least one more year patiently for Ed Oliver to start doing Ed Oliver things at the NFL level. So going back to the Iron Bowl, in terms of defensive linemen, are there any for either team? Are there any guys that you'd say, "Oh, yeah, this this guy has the best shot to be a successful long-term professional," or not? 
Right. Well, I'm not having a lot of trouble with Alabama defensive linemen this year. I mean, I like Deron Payne, but he doesn't do like okay. You get you get into this thing where you're watching television, you listen to the broadcast. Like the Iron Bowl was like one of the first games I watched where I actually had the volume on. Most of the time, I don't have the volume on when I'm when I watch games because I just don't want to be distracted, you know. Uh, right. But you know, but the broadcasters you have you know, their little quips and their little this, their little that, you know, little throw here, you know, like a little bit of that. And, you know, they're talking about Deron Payne and they're talking about, oh, look at him right here. You know, he split both these guys and he got attacked. You know, normally he's just holding it down in the middle and eating up blockers and stuff, you know, which is where he, this is why he's elite. You know, it doesn't matter about tackling and stuff like that, um, <laughs> which I'm like, okay, but every elite nose tackle did everything. Yeah, you know, right. every elite nose tackle did 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 everything. Danny Shelton was getting right. sacks in TFL. Now I know that that was surprising to people. I know that people <laughs> denied it and said, "There's no way, there's no way that that mayonnaise on a spoon got a bunch of sacks." You know, stuff like that. There's no way, <laughs> no way that that man did that, but he did. But he did. Uh, hello, Tanata. But he did. Uh, you know, I mean, he didn't get a ton of sacks, but he did get a couple sacks, which uh, and a, and a bunch of TFL. Um, same thing goes with uh, you know Vince Wilfork. You know, very very productive nose tackle type. Um, you know, so you can just go down the list of all the elite nose tackle types, uh, which is why I I think if you're going to take a guy in the first round, if you're going to take a nose tackle in the first round, you would probably want to take the the elite nose tackle type, right? I mean, I would, I would assume, I would assume that would be your goal. Damon Harrison, same difference. He was an incredibly productive guy who played the nose tackle position. Um, at, you know, and it was a lower level competition, but incredibly productive. But when you, you know, threw on the tape, that level. David Harrison, there was a series that went by where he didn't do something. He didn't, you know, throw a guard back into the backfield. You know, or get a, as you said, he got sacks, he got tackles for loss, he got pass deflections. I think he maybe even had an interception in college on a on a screenplay or something. I, I think he might have tipped the ball to himself as, uh, once while he was in college. I don't think he scored with it, though, which is, I think, one of his great regrets, because he wanted to. I could tell he was intending to try to go somewhere with it, but I think somebody ran him down. Exactly. and. The thing about Jerron Payne is, can he be a nose tackle at the next level? Absolutely. Does he have enough solo tackle production, for example, to, to kind of fit that role? Yeah, because, you know, solo tackle production is a little bit more important at nose tackle than it is at like a 3-4-D end or, uh, you know, a 4-3-D tackle. And a lot of it does make sense because, yeah, the, the scheme does influence things. I mean, I get that. I'm tired of the whole schemey people that go, well, scheme, 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 or Marcel Darius, right? You know, there's a lot of Marcel Darius people that were telling me that, oh, well, Marcel Darius, based on your data, would have been terrible. And it's like, uh, again, you're assuming a lot of stuff. You're assuming a lot of stuff. You're giving yourself a lot, a big pat on the back. That's all I'm saying. But when it comes to pain, I mean, I, again, I, I, I think there's enough production there to say, okay, this guy can be a starting nose tackle. There's been lots of different guys that have been kind of like that. I mean, I think the the best sort of example 
least recent example would probably be the nose tackle from uh, from the Carolina Panthers. The I think he's Polynesian, by the way. Who's about Lucha but, Lele again? Yeah, yeah, the Lucha Lele strike again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, there's a lot Star of Lucha now floating around the league. Yeah. Right, but Star Lucha Lele, right? I mean, that's kind of more so what Jerome Payne's production's like. Now, is that good? Is that a starting NFL player? Absolutely. Is that a player that you take top ten? Probably <laughs> not, if we're being honest, you know, if we're being serious about stuff like this. So that's that's kind of what I mean. And I and, and the other thing, too, is because the NFL is such a attacking thing, like that was a lot of things I've been, I've been debating with a couple, like I was debating with a couple of people, uh, you know, during a couple of the games and stuff, is like the whole sit back and take, like the whole, the nose tackle mentality that I think is kind of, eh, is the sort of sit back and let everything happen. You know, as I, as you know, Bill, I use the term cuckold uh, sometimes. And yeah. believe me, there is, you know, if if your scheme is like that, okay. If your coach has just been told on, on, on having that type of scheme, that's fine. But great players are not that. Great players do what you tell them to do in the scheme, and then they just kind of wing it. You know, they, they, they turn into Luke Skywalker. You know, they use the force. They take off. They take off their targeting system, and they're just like, just just do it. Just, do, you know, just let it come to me. You know, I've watched the film. I've done all that stuff. I've done my film study. I'm I'm in the zone, and I'm just going to do it. I don't care. I don't care what the coach says. I don't care what he keeps telling me to do. I'm a boss. You know, I'm a great player. I know what I'm doing. I can throw these people off me like crazy, so I'm just going to go and do it. And that's what great players do. You know, great players do everything the coach asks them to do and a little something extra, you know, a little bit of extra stuff. You know, that's what makes them great players. You know, they don't just do every single thing a coach tells you to do. They wing it a little bit. They take a couple of risks. And they keep doing it because they make plays, you know. Like, the coaches wouldn't let them do that. They wouldn't be starting if the coach didn't have some, you know, bit of, bit of trust in them, uh, you know, to kind of do those kind of things. So that's the only real issue with pain uh, for the most part is just from that kind of perspective. As far as Deshaun Hand, Deshaun Hand, of course, the other guy, the he just kind of reminds me of uh, Sean Robinson in terms of being that sort of oversized, the end type. If it was like the Seattle Seahawks, he would be he would be that big oversized DN type that just kind of stops the run and that's about it. And again, nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want, you know, if, the, if if you want to settle for that, okay, but there are other options, you know. You, you don't have to just settle for the big run-stuffing guy. And besides that, as I try to keep telling people, the, the run-stuffing is not the biggest thing in the world, right, especially when it comes to winning football games. I mean, the Raiders have run-stuffers galore, and our defense is terrible. So, you know, it just, it just is what it is because it's a passing league. So, Stopping the run is not really going to help that out that much. But, yeah, in terms of Alabama, that's the only thing with the with the Alabama defensive linemen uh, in general is I just think they're, at least this year, I don't think it's like a systemic thing. I'm not saying this just because I'm generalizing Alabama players. I'm just saying that th- in this particular year, I don't really think they have elite, like 
none of the defensive tackles they have this year are like Marcel Darius uh, or, you know, or any of the other sort of um, reiterations of that, I guess, you know, like, I don't think, you know, Jerome Payne is kind of with Darius and Darius would kind of be the hallmark for the, you know, he would be like that sort of standard, I guess, when it comes to Alabama defensive linemen or Jonathan Allen, right. You know, like, I don't really think there's that Jonathan Allen or Marcel Darius type this year on the defensive line. I think there's good players, but I just don't quite see to that extent, that type of thing. Gotcha. Okay. So staying with Iron Bowl, um, and assuming Jarrett Stidham doesn't declare, though he certainly might, who are the other players that one would want to pay attention to from that game in terms of, of the draft? Right. Well, in terms of Auburn, uh, Ben Braden at right guard. There's been talk about him playing tackle. I, I see him more as a guard. I, I don't know. It, it's one of those weird things that people keep saying, oh, he's going to play t- he's tackle. He has, the, he has the build. You know, he has the build for tackle and that sort of thing. He, sure, he has the build for tackle, but he's playing guard. So, like, I'm evaluating him as a guard because all I've seen him do is play guard. I think he's a pretty decent guard. You know, I think that's how much he's shown me at least. You know, he's a guy who can get leverage. He's kind of a taller guard that's still able to kind of get leverage, which is, you know, kind of – it's a little rarer than usual. You know, I think a lot of times taller guards, you know, are not really the best when it comes to that. So he definitely has qualities like that that I think is why people kind of like him. And and because of that hype, it it makes people believe – you know, they want to believe that, you know, they can make him into a tackle, which you you never know. could happen. But, you know, he's definitely kind of that guy, uh, you know, Kyrion Johnson, you know, like we just talked about, you know, he kind of fits that sort of possible starter role in the NFL, maybe he ends up on the Giants, right? And the Giants, you know, keep him on the roster as like the third down back for a while, and then all of a sudden he gets a shot, you know, that kind of thing. Um, defensively, though, there's a ton of guys uh, that I like. I, I think uh, Jeff Holland, you know, at the – the pass rusher position, I think he's kind of a – he kind of reminds me of, you know, the pass rusher that they had last year uh, in, in particular. You know, it's kind of a common – Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's because they kind of scout that type of build. You know, they're kind of short, stout, kind of stocky uh, kind of players uh, who are fast uh, and explosive, but kind of stiff, you know, which is kind of – uh, you know, I can't really explain why they they end up that way, but it just happens. You know, they I don't know they don't do yoga in Alabama that much. You know, I don't very I don't know very many <laughs> people that do yoga in Alabama. So uh, maybe maybe I might get out and meet some people that do, but I haven't met them yet. So you have that sort of set. Uh, Trey Williams, at linebacker, I think is, he's also kind of a solid, you know, solid kind of solid overall linebacker for them. Uh, Trey Matthews at safety, he's been a guy that from last year in particular as well, he's been one of those guys that kind of stuck out the most. And then I guess the last guy is Carlton Davis at cornerback, who is not perfect as a cornerback. Like, he he doesn't always get in the right, in the right position. Uh, he kind of over relies on his length as well because he's a really lengthy guy. You know, he looks like Gumby out there. You know what I mean? Um, he just does. Yeah, he's like, like, he sort of reminds me of Dominic Rogers Cromartie, but way, but less athletic. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, so like he kind of, he doesn't always quite get in the right position and he doesn't quite have elite speed. And, you know, like he doesn't have like that elite athleticism sort of stuff, but he just knows how to kind of use his body and get into like get his arms and his length and that kind of thing to kind of get himself in a position to kind of make plays on the ball, um, which, you know, kind of go into the matrix a bit and then just kind of do his thing, you know, um, you know, when the, when the ball's in the air, uh, sometimes it's terrible. Sometimes it doesn't work at all and he's just out of position and he just doesn't make the play. Um, other times he just kind of does something crazy and you're like, wow, that, that worked, you know, that shouldn't have worked, but it did. You know, and he's just kind of like that type of guy, at least to me, because there's a lot of times where I'm, I'm watching him and he just does these sort of things where I'm like, normally that's not supposed to work, but you made it work. So, you know, so I don't know how to, I don't know how I feel about that with, with him a little bit, but, uh, but, but I do think that he, and he's a, you know, and he's a tough corner. Uh, you know, he, he's not like a Justin Gilbert or whatever, you know, like he's not one of those types of guys. Um you know, that's a little meek, I guess. You know, he isn't quite like that. And even in this game in particular, you know, he got in Calvin Ridley's face a bunch, you know, because um, the one thing about Calvin Ridley that I've always kind of noticed is, you know, you, if you punch him a bit and you get in his face a bit, you do that kind of stuff, he kind of, kind of, you know, tenses up a bit, kind of steps, steps back, you know, kind of, you know, kind of folds with it uh, a little bit. But, um, but yeah, D- Davis is good. I mean, but Davis is just that guy that, if you're into those Seattle cornerback, those lengthy guys, uh, he, you know, he kind of just kind of fits that mold. Maybe he ends up being a first rounder. I don't, he's not like my first rounder cup of tea when it comes to cornerback. You know, I'm, I'm usually kind of stingy at times when it comes to, I mean, I, with me and cornerbacks, I like speed. I like aggressiveness. I like ball skills and I like tackling, you know, I like really good tacklers. You know, if you meet all those, if you meet all those things, you know, then boom, you know, I think you're first on corner. If you don't quite meet all those things or you're a little off in some of those things, then I don't quite see that. And that's, that's kind of where Davis is for me. He kind of comes off more as like a day two kind of cornerback uh, for the most part, because he's just a little bit off in certain, in, in certain kind of aspects of the game. Well, you mentioned ball skills and tackling. And of course, that's something that Coach Saban likes in defensive backs as well. As always, there's usually a – what's the opposite of a discount? Premium, thank you. There's usually a Saban premium applied to all Alabama secondary players of at least half a round, it seems. But take me through the secondary prospects in Alabama, and are any of them anywhere close to as good as advertised? And if, if not, why not? Hmm. I mean that's kind of a tough that's kind of a tough question to say. I do like them. I think Mika Fitzpatrick is fun. I liked this film last year more though. Uh, I think Ronnie Harrison he gives off a very. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the the player. He was on the uh, he was on the Cardinals, and then he ended up on the Ravens. He's a safety from uh, Oklahoma. Tony Jefferson. Tony yeah, Jefferson. yeah. Undrafted free agent, a Los Angeles kid who actually grew up with Kenny Stills, the childhood friend. Yeah, yeah. I get kind of a Tony Jefferson kind of feel of Ronnie Harrison, you know, and just in terms of just his kind of ability to kind of come downhill and make tackles and 
um, you know, uh, and kind of just kind of be where he needs to be and make plays and, and stuff like that. But he definitely kind of gives off that kind of role, uh, or at least that kind of feeling with me. With, with Fitzpatrick, he does have, like, the more showmanship aspect to him, you know, the kind of look-at-me kind of thing going on, you know. Which, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. Um, it's like a wide receiver personality, almost like Jalen Ramsey. Exactly, exactly, you know, exactly. Uh, but I, I do kind of think Ramsey is a little bit better than Fitzpatrick. But yeah, I do. Yeah. But I do. But I do like both those guys. What I spend a really high end draft. I mean, in this draft, maybe. I mean, you know, until like the, until everything is kind of finalized. You know, I'm kind of open to, to that sort of thing with both those guys. But I do think that uh, I do think I like Harrison just a little bit more, just because of that reliability when it comes to solo tackle situations. Like if, if it's Ronnie Harrison and it's Mika Fitzpatrick and I need, I need a one V one tackle made in space in practice. Right. Then I would, I would defer to Harrison. You know, I wouldn't necessarily defer to Fitzpatrick, you know, uh, in that kind of situation. So it's just kind of like that when, when it comes to both of those guys. And I guess the last other DB that they got there is Anthony Everett, uh, you know, the the cornerback that's there, too. He's kind of stuck out as well. Same thing with Tony Brown. I mean, both those guys, I think, are pretty solid. I think they might end up on the NFL roster. Well, I, I mean, I, I shouldn't say might. They will end up on the NFL roster, and they'll, they'll you know, kick around, kick the tires a bit. Uh, but those guys, I think, are, depending on, like, how testing kind of goes and stuff like that, I think those guys more so maybe day three kind of guys, at least for me right now. But – I think they're solid. I think they kind of bring uh, kind of normal stuff to the table. They have some of that save and grittiness, you know, whatever you're going to call it, you know, because all Alabama DBs are kind of like that. Um, but those guys definitely kind of stick out a bit too when it comes to secondary. Yeah, I mean, I think every single multi-year starter at Alabama under Saban on defense has played in at least one NFL game. Everyone who started two years or more for Saban at Alabama, I'm almost certain this is correct, has played in at least one NFL game. They weren't all great. They weren't even all good, some of them, but they all played in the NFL. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, it's one of the things that you can virtually guarantee. If you manage to start for two years or more at Alabama for, for Coach Saban, we can almost, guarantee you're going to at least get in an NFL football game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I don't know what it is, man. I don't know if Saban just has stuff on NFL coaches, you know. I don't (laughs) know. But whatever it is, the Saban charm, if you want to call it charm. (laughs) (laughs) Remember that that... super old Australian defensive tackle, Jesse – Something. Oh yeah, Jesse James. It was Jesse James or Jesse. Not Jesse James. He's the tight end for the for the Steelers. Oh yeah, Jesse... the tight end for the Steelers. But he's on a Williams. Yeah, I think that might have been it. Jesse Williams. And despite the rather, you know, plain Jane sounding name, I believe he was ha- at least half Aboriginal or something. He was. He had an interesting racial background, if memory serves it correctly. But um, yeah. But I mean, it was that was a real example of the statement effect. If that guy had gone to Tulane. He would have been nowhere. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess exactly that's true, right. People would have said, like, wait, he's a 26-year-old what? 
you know, whatever, whatever age he was. He's four, yeah, he's an older prospect. He had all this. He had hip surgeries and knee surgeries yes. and all this stuff. He had a terrifying injury history. <laughs> yeah, he has a terrifying injury history, and then it's like NFL teams are like. Well, because you played for Saban, you know, we'll we'll give you we'll give you yeah, we'll we'll pay you some money, you know. We'll get you we'll get you through, we'll help you out. So yeah, it's just just odd, man. Um it's just odd. And and it and it's funny what's funny to me is every year when this happens, you hear all these scouts and all these other people that kinda of leak to the media, they're like, We're not gonna be tricked, we're not gonna be fooled this year. We're not gonna be fooled, you know, like we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna be duped. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna stay fast, and we're gonna we're gonna value these players like any other player, and you're not gonna trick us. You know, like yeah, we're not gonna trick us. And then every year, you know, like ten, twelve, whatever, you know, go in the top one hundred. You know, and a lot of, and maybe the last six, the last six, actually no, the last four maybe are people that are questionable that they should have gone in the top one hundred. You know, like very questionable type guys. You know, type dudes. You know, at times. But hey, it's all them. You know, what can you say? I can't. What, what What am I supposed to do? You know, like that's what you want to do, so you do it. You know, w- w- at least it becomes Alabama players. So, right, right. Uh, there were other football games played. Believe it or not, uh, Louisville played Kentucky. Uh, let's see, Carolina played NC State. Uh, if if there were any sense in the world, BYU would have played Utah, but that's not what happened. Utah played, of all people, Colorado. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that traditional hate fest. Um, uh, okay. Um, <clears throat> Air Force played San Diego State. Uh, <laughs> let's go back and look. But uh, that's another one where it's like a little bit of a head scratcher. Like Cal played UCLA, which is – no. Wait, Cal played. Yeah, why weren't they playing yeah, Stanford? <laughs> There's some screwy things going on with this year's rivalry week. I was looking at some of the games, like, wait, this is their, this is the blood feud. What the heck? Um, but yeah, Stanford should have been playing Cal, but they weren't. Well, yeah, there was. A, so yeah, Cal played UCLA. So let's 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 start with that. Cal UCLA. Um. Josh Rosen is a quote-unquote polarizing figure uh, amongst draft Twitter. He clearly has a high football IQ. He clearly has a uh, – I've heard Eli Manning comparisons. I don't think he's quite as physically talented as Eli. Uh, smart, he's smarter Matt than Ryan. Eli. I will give him that. Yes, I will, I will say smarter, yes. Um, I think you threw Matt Ryan out there, which I can see some of, though I think Matt Ryan was a little further along in terms of well, I mean, he threw a lot of interceptions, obviously, but I think he, he had a little slightly more nuanced understanding of defenses, than, uh, despite all the, the picks, than, um, than Goff does. But, of course, different things are asked of him in his offense. I mean, he's not in – I mean, I don't want to get too deep into this whole scheme thing because a lot of that stuff is overblown. But the same offense that was at – NC State when uh, Dane, when uh, Russ Wilson r- was there and of course Glennon as well. That was the offense that um, the offensive coordinator uh, at BC at the time was Tom O'Brien, who later was the head coach at NC State. 
And O'Brien is, you know, a true West Coast guy. I mean, they run free. I mean, once again, it's still somewhat simplified, but it's one of the more complex. I mean, it's up there with what Norm Chow was doing at USC when he was there and what Norm Chow did with Phillip Rivers when he was when he was at NC State. And, of course, NC State kept virtually all of the Norm Chow stuff. And then when O'Brien came, who was also a West Coast guy, they basically just melded the Chow stuff they already had in place with stuff that Tom O'Brien brought from B.C., which was already West Coast. But the point I'm making is that he hasn't been asked to do quite as many things from the neck up as Matt Ryan was. And, of course, I mean, if people want to play the, the supporting cast game, go and break out that, that group of skill-positioned wizards that, uh, that Matt Ryan was playing with at Boston College. I think the only one who had more than a, amongst the – I think it was a tight end who had a cup of coffee in the NFL on that team. And I think – he had a running back whose name escapes me who hung around the league for about two or three years, but the receiving core was uh, less than scintillating. I'll leave it, let's leave it at that. Uh, but, but, and, and, of course, what I didn't know at the time is he actually played through a stress fracture the last half of his senior year. But, um, but take me through Rosen, um, his – his how he looks in terms of the numbers and what you've noticed about him on tape. And then we'll talk a little bit about some of the other prospects on those two teams. Oh, are you talking about Josh Rosen? Yeah, Rosen, then Cal and UCLA, other prospects. Correct. Yes. What do the numbers say, and and what do your eyes say? Well, I I honestly I I don't know how I feel about Josh Rosen. Uh, hundred <laughs> percent. I really don't. Uh, I just threw out the Matt Ryan comparison just because of data, because Matt Ryan was a guy that had a pretty decent freshman season at Boston College, and then mm-hmm. he got progressively worse after that. You know, uh, sophomore season decreased and then his junior final year you know i don't think it was a junior i think it was more of like senior but that last yeah, year all guess, four years yeah that last year of production that matt ryan had uh he he was still stagnant in terms of his production which is why a lot of people are like matt ryan why did you take matt Ryan? are you really gonna take matt ryan that high you know like it was you know that kind of mentality with him because you know he wasn't that great um, those final two years uh, of his career. Right, and I, I was, um, as you know, I was on the Andre Woodson bandwagon. I pointed to the fact that look how uh, how Woodson, you know, the got better and better and better and better. I, he, I think he started he, the fifth game of his sophomore year, if memory serves correctly, was when he he was inserted. I think their starter might have gotten hurt, or he might have just been terrible. I can't remember which it was, but they tossed him out there, and he almost won. They were down in that first game, and he almost brought them back. And then he, you know, started looking like a guy who hadn't been starting much after that. He sort of got off to a fast start and then, like, you know, as they got more tape on him or just they played better teams. I can't remember which it was, but he struggled later. And then he got off to a better start his junior year. And then by the, once again, in his senior year, he lit it up, man. I mean, he, he had some great games. Now, they weren't all great. He was somewhat inconsistent. But, I mean, that, that LSU game, when LSU was, I think, a one-loss LSU team, he played late in the season. 
and I think it was something like 29 of 38 or something like that for 340-some-odd yards, four touchdowns, or something crazy. And just and this is a loaded defense. I mean, just there were two or three NFL prospects at every level of that LSU team. And so, you know, I, you know, I, like I said, I bit hard uh, and fell hard for, for Andre Woodson. And I looked at Matt Ryan, I looked at Andre Woodson, and I was like, well, I don't see why people have this guy way up here and this guy way down here, you know, when this guy, as you point out, was stagnant, you know, got off to a good start and then sort of never got any better while Woodson got better and better and better and better and better. His last year was by far his best year. Right. So I just say Rosen from that kind of standpoint of production, like if you're going to, it's either that or Andy Dalton in reverse. You know, so oh. like, it's like those are the choices. It's the it, it's it's the Matt Ryan or the reverse Andy Dalton uh, in terms of like career arc uh, for the most part. And I just don't know how I feel about Josh Rosen. I've watched his film. Uh, I've seen. I mean, I, we've all watched his film. We've seen him since he was a freshman. Uh, we've seen the kind of low light kind of sophomore year uh we've seen this year where he would have games where he would just play terrible and then all of a sudden turn it on and then there would also be people that would just kind of blatantly ignore certain things because there's lots of people oh his wide receivers are terrible and i'm like okay but his wide receivers may be terrible but why is he why does he why is he not throwing with touch you know why is he not I mean, he's just like throw. Like there were certain games where he was just throwing lasers, just to throw lasers. You know, um, when he gets pressured, when he gets hit, when he gets you know stuff like that in his face, it gets to him. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it does. So he's always been that quarterback where I'm kind of I don't I don't trust what I see that much with him because sure you can go to a lot of different plays where you see a trait and you go wow look at that trait. Like, oh, look at him right here. You know, like, ooh, look at, look, that's that's an NFL trait, right? And then you'll go to another play, same situation, same route, same concept, and complete opposite situation, like complete opposite outcome. Uh, largely caused because of either him making a mental mistake or he just doesn't quite have the touch that he needs to have on the ball or he's just rushing his throws, or he's just nervous, or whatever. Uh, so add on top of that the dysfunctionality of the UCLA program, which has been super-duper dysfunctional. And, you know, you don't want to blame the quarterback 100% for stuff like that, but the quarterback ultimately, when it comes to the offense especially, if they're a leader of men, you know, we always use that term a lot, uh, you know, leader of men, uh, you, you're able to kind of manage the locker room also. You know, you're kind of like that extra coach. You're that extra kind of influence, you know, on guys, you know, trying to keep guys straight, you know, in terms of what, they, what they're trying to do. And nothing of what you read about Josh Rosen or even how he plays comes off as someone that keeps it straight, you know, with his teammates, you know, from that kind of perspective. On top of just the whole attitude of, like, I just get this attitude from him, and it's sort of a, you know, again, a lot of people call this the millennial attitude, I guess, or the California attitude is another way I kind of describe it. It's the sort of attitude of, like, you got eighth place, so you get a ribbon, you know, uh, like, you, you don't win, 
So, and don't get me wrong. I mean, winning and losing is, uh, you know, losing sucks. Winning's great. Um, you shouldn't take losses too hard. But I, I'll, I, I get the sense of Rosen sometimes that the, the sort of, oh, yeah, we're just having fun. You know, like if we win, we lose, we're having fun, that kind of mentality. Uh, sometimes it's not always okay to have a mentality. Sometimes you have to realize, okay, I'm tired of losing. You know, it's like there was the game, I think it was a game against Stanford and uh, in UCLA, and you had Kenny Young, and Kenny Young is one of the linebackers for UCLA. And the look on Kenny Young's face was, we just lost the game that we should have won. This sucks. You know, I want to leave. You know, I'm not happy. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to go work hard and then, you know, get better and go and move on. You know, Josh Rosen's attitude was, oh, yeah, that was fun. That was a lot of fun, guys. Hey, at least I tried. At least I tried. You know, like, it's – and, again, I'm not trying to knock that attitude at all. I'm just saying that it's why he's such a polarizing prospect to coaches and, you know, old school types. Because, you know, old school types, when you lose a football game, you're supposed to feel horrible about it. You know, you're not supposed to, you know, that kind of pit, that pit in your stomach, you know, uh, that, that kind of attitude. Uh, you know, kind of, you know, you don't want to have that kind of thing. And some of that could just be because Josh Rosen is just this really cocky, arrogant kind of guy. Um, and maybe it's a good thing that he has that, you know, because he, he doesn't have that sort of, you know, that, that sense of like, oh, I'm losing my status because of this, you know, type of thing. But I just think that that's the only sort of thing where based on film, there's some questions, his production is really questionable. His attitude on and off the field is really questionable. He, you know, he's trying not to be PC. He's trying to, he's like being the opposite of like, I understand he hates Donald Trump, but he's kind of being the opposite in some ways because, He's speaking his mind, but he's speaking his mind way too much. You know, like sometimes you're not, sometimes you should like not be blatant about stuff. Um, you know, as a, as a college football player, you know, you, you should be somewhat reserved in terms of what you tell people, you know, like there's sort of like, it's sort of the Aaron Rodgers effect where you talk to Aaron Rodgers, you probably, you know, <laughs> like it, it's just that sort of, uh, or Peyton Manning or whatever, you know, like you just have that sort of, sense that, uh, you know, it's all business, business as usual, you know, like, uh, and some people don't like that, but, you know, I do think that that's just sort of like what coaches want. They want a quarterback where you can't really read what, what's on his mind a hundred percent, you know? Um, and, and, and he doesn't really, he, you know, he's a mystery to a certain extent. Like he keeps, he keeps some things back, you know, he doesn't tell you everything about his life, um, or what he's going through and stuff like that. Um, and that just isn't Rosen, you know? So you either love it or you hate it, you know, and that, that's just kind of my, I'm kind of in between. I don't, I don't hate Rosen. I don't necessarily love him either because of all the extra stuff. Um, I think, can he become a, a starting NFL quarterback? Yeah, I think he definitely could. He's definitely talented, but I just think that he, the, the whole package with him is just, it doesn't scream safeness. You know, and, and, and believe me, the quarterback is, is a really hard position to scout and evaluate. You know, everybody said, oh, it's the hardest position to scout in all of football, you know, that kind of thing. But at the same time, you do want to have some kind of safeness to that. You know, you want to have some kind of, okay, I know what I'm getting here. You know, you don't want to just wing it. Like, you, you don't want to make the excuse that, well, it's really hard to scout quarterback. It's really hard to scout quarterbacks, so we should just, go crazy and just draft all of them, you know, any of them that have any traits, <laughs> we should just go get them, you know, like 
doesn't matter. Is he John Elway? No, but he could be. And then, like, that's not just, again, you know, you, you need to have some standards, I guess, is all I'm trying to say, when it comes to first-round quarterback, you know. Um, and that's that's my only sort of question for Rosen, um, is he definitely could be a starter. Like, he has the talent for it. But I just kind of wonder about all the stuff, like everything, you know, um, the kind of Johnny Manziel-ish of it all. I mean, he's not exactly Johnny Manziel. I don't think he has that type of game. But he, you definitely kind of see some of those character traits to a certain extent with, with a guy like Rosen for whatever reason, um, which kind of turns me off a bit. It's like the opposite of Matt Ryan character traits, you know, uh, in terms yes. of like right. his mentality and, and what his life is like and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right, right. I mean, obviously with certain guys, you know that, uh, as you pointed out, you get the feeling that when football is over, someone like powers them down, puts them back in a container until they're needed next. And obviously that's not the case with Josh Rosen. There's clearly a lot of other things going on with him, good, bad, or indifferent. But uh, any other players worthy of uh, mention uh, for the Bruins? And then we'll hop over to the sturdy Golden Bears of Cal. Right. Well, UCLA, uh, when it comes to – I mean, Darren Andrews at wide receiver is okay. I mean, he kind of fits into that category of, uh, generic, which I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. I mean, he's not terrible. Um, you know, he's, he's, it's not like that. He's just so, sort of one of those guys that might get drafted a little too high because of where he played potentially. Uh, you know, like a date, like a fourth rounder to me would be a little too high for him um, in terms of like other wide receivers in the class and stuff like that. But I do think that he, he does bring, you know, some things to the table. Uh, Scott Quisenberry at center is okay. I think he's a little bit more named than anything else, you know, because he, he you know, because of the other Quisenberry. One of the football um, things, Quisenberry. Yeah, 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 which it's fine. I just, I just have never watched Scott Quisenberry and was like, oh my gosh, this guy's really great. That's, you know, he's okay. He's solid uh, for the most part. Uh, defensively speaking, the two guys that have kind of stuck out, Kenny Young stuck out a lot Last year, this year, he just kind of—I don't know what it is—he just kind of lost a step a bit. And but I do like the safety there a little bit. And Jalil uh, uh, Widowed uh, at at safety there—he's a guy that's kind of a feisty kind of guy. Uh, you know, makes kind of plays here and there. But he's—he's he's another guy that kind of um, sticks out uh, a little bit uh, when it comes to most of his—you uh, know—most of his game and stuff like that. Um, but as far as UCLA, I just haven't really, you know, again, the, the sort of excuse, which I don't like to give that excuse, is like, oh, well, the team's terrible around you. Uh, it can actually be said about UCLA to a certain extent, you know, because the talent did get worse around him. Uh, the one thing I could say about Josh Rosen as well is Josh Rosen has never really had a wide receiver in the sense of like a guy that, can run routes really well and has a good under like he's never quite had that guy you know like he's never had a juju Smith shooter he's never had 
uh, a tight end even. Like, he had tight ends that were committed to him. I mean, that's funny. If, if Donovan was on the show, he'd, he'd be able to tell you all that. But, you know, like, he, he's had tight ends committed to, to UCLA, and then they just kind of pulled out last minute. Uh, you know, in terms of, like, full-service tight ends, you know, like six foot five, six foot six guys. Um, so he's, ne- he's never quite had that guy. He's always had these sort of undersized, uh, small, little wide receivers who weren't always the best technically sound players either. Because, like, he's definitely had guys that could run fast and stuff like that, but they couldn't really run routes very well. Uh, they were just kind of blasé, you know, in terms of, like, what they brought to the table. Um, so I agree with that kind of standpoint. I just don't think that that should be the whole basis for ignoring every single problem. Like, like just because you have meh wide receivers doesn't mean that you should throw into triple coverage, you know, or <laughs> just make a dumb decision or, you know, like, cause he does that. Like that's the thing about Rosen is like, he, he gets those situations where he does those, you know, he makes stupid decisions um, and has a sort of, you know, again, a blase kind of attitude about it, um, you know, at times. So, but yeah, but th- I guess that's just my kind of general feeling. UCLA is I, I do like Woodard and uh, you know Quisenberry definitely is kind of a name of note, um, but there really isn't a ton of guys there at least this year. Okay, and let's talk about the Sturdy Golden Bears. Are there any players of note or any players that one should expect to see playing on Sundays? Hmm. Well, yeah, in terms of Cal, man, you know, this year in particular, uh, there's been a couple guys I've always kind of kept track of a little bit. Uh, James Looney, for example, who's kind of the DN guy there. He's he's stuck out a few times when I've watched them. Uh, they had a linebacker there as well. I think Devontae Downs, I think. Um, I'm not sure if he's healthy or not, but he definitely was a guy that kind of stuck out uh, in terms of the linebackers there. A uh, cornerback that I've followed for a decent amount, Darius Allensworth. He's kind of a zone um, kind of corner type um, who hasn't quite progressed physically. It's been kind of weird uh, with him, but but he's, he's definitely kind of come off as a pretty smart guy, but he just hasn't quite gotten stronger or faster or, you know, like more athletic as he's gotten older, you know, for whatever reason. So I'm not quite sure what that is, but I've followed him a lot um, at Cal uh, for, you know, for the most part, but, um, but yeah, those are most of the Cal guys this year. None of them, none of the Cal people really stick out uh, that much to me. I mean, this year in particular, I, you know, like the biggest guy to me would probably be James Looney. You know, as far as the defensive lineman, um, but there isn't really a ton of guys that I'm like super excited about when it comes to Cal players, at least in terms of draft eligible guys. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So we we have to talk Ohio State Michigan. It is a great traditional rivalry. It uh, is not all the way back, you know, from where it was say forty or or thirty. 50 years ago, where for so long it was, you know, it was two of the greats, two of the Lions, two of the, you know, Hall of Fame coaches, and, you know, Woody Hayes and you know, facing off against Bo Schimbeckler, and then you know, later we had guys like Lloyd Carr and 
you know, Coach Cooper and uh, Earl Bruce and eventually Urban Meyer made his way to Ohio State uh, where he now faces off against Coach Harbaugh. So, you know, some of the some of the sizzle and pizzazz has returned. You made mention of Maurice Hurst already. Who are some of the other players that suit up for the maze and uh, maize and blue that are worthy of note, and then we'll spend some time on the Buckeyes. Right. Well, you know, Hurst. Just to, I guess just kind of get him out of the way because I think he's kind of their t- you know top kind of draft eligible guy. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a good defensive tackle. I think he he kind of fits more of the three techie kind of role for the most part. Uh, you know, if, if you're talking like a, a four-three-three tech, you know, that kind of position. Um, I know there's a lot of people saying he should go top ten, and it's not that I don't think he'll go top ten because in this particular draft class, it's just like, well, yeah, that's probably going to happen. But he definitely is more so a guy that I, in any other draft class, would probably be like a later first round kind of talent. Um, you know, production wise and just film wise and everything else like that. Um, he definitely has a high motor. Uh, which is something that the the fans of him won't shut up about. I mean, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, I got a hot one. But he does have sort of those kind of qualities, which I, which is what, what kind of endears him to people. But I, I would say that they're, um, I don't know, there's just there's a couple little things off of him. I mean, some situational awareness is kind of a little off of him uh, at times on film. But I do think that he, you know, he's a pretty solid overall kind of three tech kind of D, D tackle type, you know, penetrator. Um, you know, get upfield kind of guy attacking. Uh, in terms of other sort of players, I do like Mike McCray at linebacker. I think he's a solid linebacker for them. Um, the freshman linebacker there, he's not draft eligible, but Devin Bush is another guy that's that's always kind of stuck out uh, for the most part. And uh, I think Kyrie Kennel at safety, um, he's another sort of guy that uh, might have some chance of getting drafted potentially. Uh, if, if uh, you know, he tests well and stuff like that, because he, he's able to kind of make certain plays here and there. Um, on the offensive line, Mason Cole is more so a guard because he kind of has that sort of guard build uh, in terms of, uh, you know, just kind of uh, his size and his, his dimensions and stuff like that when you watch him on film. Uh, but I do think he – I do think there's a potential for him to be, uh, you know, a guard, like instead of a left tackle because, you know, he's currently a left tackle. More so guard kind of build, but I do think that if you put him inside, there is some chance he could become like a long-term starting guard if you kind of went that way with him. Okay. Got it. And obviously the Buckeyes are something of a football factory, and that has been the case going back as far as the 1950s when Paul Brown was there. But take me through. Uh, who are some of the players to watch? Obviously, they have some exciting skill talent, but I think the heart of the team is is their their offensive and defensive line. Yeah, I mean the best players are are the defensive line. Uh, I mean, in terms of like a unit, um, I. You know, Draymond Jones is kind of a fun player. Uh, Taekwon Lewis 
is another kind of thickly built kind of guy. Uh, of course, Nick Bosa, not draft eligible, but he's he's a pretty fun player. That's the biggest fan of Sam Hubbard. Uh, he continues to not. I know people keep throwing the Bosa label around. I mean, just because you're a tall, white defensive end doesn't mean that you're Joey Bosa. Um, you know, like it's, it doesn't automatically. I, I know, I you know, a lot of people say scouting is hard, but that's kind of an example. You know, just because you're tall, white, Ohio State jersey doesn't mean that you're Joey Bosa. So he definitely, they, they've continued to kind of get that narrative across. It just doesn't fit uh, for him. But I do think that he, you know, has – I mean, could he be a placeholder DN? Yeah. I mean, he definitely could be that kind of guy uh, for the most part. But I just don't quite see the top 10 talk or the top 15 or the first round or the day two. Like, I just don't see the qualities that he brings to the table. I mean, Jalen Holmes, for example, is a guy that would be a better value pick because you're kind of getting the same guy. It's just that he's well, you know, he's black, but you're kind of getting a similar kind of – you're getting a similar build guy, you know. Like, if you just take race out of the equation, Jalen Holmes and Sam Hubbard are pretty much the same guy, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, what they bring to the table um, as players. So, you know, so from that perspective, that's just kind of my – just kind of deal. In terms of offensive line, yeah, Billy Price, I think, is – you know, he's a solid kind of center type. Uh, I think he gets a little too much credit, though, at times, because he can get overpowered. Um, uh, in terms of, uh, especially against taller uh, defensive tackles, you know, guys that are like six four, six five that can bend. Um, those are guys he doesn't, he doesn't, he don't like those guys because um, they usually have good, you know, good enough length um, to kind of keep them, keep them off them, uh, you know, keep keep separation between him and and uh, um, and, and be able to kind of shed off those things pretty well, but. But he definitely kind of fits that kind of mold. I mean, Price, I think, is, is one of those sort of, uh, you know, utilitarian kind of players. can play guard, can play center, all those kind of positions. Uh, in terms of other offensive players, I mean, Marcus Baugh is kind of a generic tight end. He's not the best blocker. He can catch the ball occasionally. There, there really isn't a lot that really sticks out about him, per se. Uh, of course, JT Barrett. I mean, we've already kind of discussed J.T. Barrett a lot. I think J.T. Barrett, like, best-case scenario could be like a poor man's Cody Kessler. I mean, that's kind of what you you might get with J.T. Barrett is a game manager type that doesn't quite have the arm to really stretch the field, which has always been kind of his issue. But that's it. He definitely kind of fits um, that mold for him. Uh, and then the other sort of guys that, at, at – uh, I guess the last guy I mentioned at Ohio State is Denzel Ward at cornerback. He's the other sort of guy. He's the only cornerback that I really like there. Um, and he's, he's definitely a flawed player, but very athletic, very good hips, uh, plays the shuffle bell, but doesn't have to, which really irks me um, because I feel like if you have a cornerback that's fast and has good hips and is explosive, you don't need to teach him shuffle bell. You know, um, like shuffle bell to me is like something that you teach to a cornerback who legit has issues changing directions, who has issues with speed, who has issues with, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Ward doesn't have those issues. Ward athletically can pretty much do pretty much everything you want him to do um, as an athlete. So teach him how to do a back pedal correctly. (laughs) 
and just move on. You don't need to teach him shovel bell. You don't need to do that stuff. Um, but for whatever reason they do. So, but he's definitely a guy that I like from the perspective of this is a cornerback that has the the athleticism to pretty much do anything. Like you don't, you just teach them and then go from there. So, so there definitely is a lot of qualities that to like about a prospect like that, I guess is, you know, is that you have that sort of uh, stuff. And yeah, he doesn't have great length and he doesn't have great height and stuff like that. Like if you, you match him up against like a six foot three or six foot four guy, he's not going to do amazing. But I do think that there's a lot of good qualities with Denzel Ward because of, because uh, of his athleticism. Oh, muted myself. Jim, uh, take me through Purdue-Indiana, a underrated rivalry, uh, at least in part because both teams have struggled mightily of late. But I think Coach Jeff Brom at Indiana – no, sorry, at uh, Purdue. Woo, at Purdue is a person who should get some consideration for Coach of the Year, though he probably won't get too much consideration. But a real turnaround is taking place at Purdue. Take me through that game and who is worth your time and attention as a talent evaluator on the, uh, on either of those two rosters. Well, yeah, I mean Purdue doesn't suck anymore, so you know that's always <laughs> it's always a good sign. Um, you know they're not uh, per who, you know as, as I always used to say. Uh, who are you playing per per who? Uh, yeah, uh, you know. Pretty decent, uh, you know, team this year. Defense. I'm more, more, more of the players I've really kind of liked have been defensive for me on for them. Uh, I like Jawan Bentley at linebacker. Uh, I think he's pretty solid. Uh, Josh Aconye from a cornerback is also kind of a solid corner uh, for them. Uh, Gillen, uh Gillen Robinson. Um, Danny uh, uh, I'm probably saying that wrong, but he's a sort of edge rusher type, uh, tweener, like 6'3", 230 pounds, 240, something like that. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely kind of sticks out a bit as sort of like maybe a rotational pass rusher type, uh, if you will, uh, with him. Um, you know, for the most part, but yeah, Purdue's been really decent this year. Uh, they offensively, they've been able to put points on the board defensively. They've not been a pushover. They've had some pretty solid games against good opponents. I mean, the, the main game that I saw where I was like, Oh, wow. Things are a little bit different is, is, was against, um, uh, Louisville. 
you know, because that was actually a pretty close game, uh, you know, if you actually watched it. So, um, so like, if you're able to kind of stand toe-to-toe with Louisville, then, then you might be able to stand toe-to-toe with those sort of people. Um, and I felt like that was kind of the biggest sort of thing for me with, with uh, Purdue. Uh, when it comes to Indiana, uh, I think there's a lot of interesting things uh, as well. Uh, Timmy Cobbs Jr., for example, I think is a pretty solid uh, wide receiver uh, for the most part. I think if you're, like, really into Alan Lazard, because there's a lot of Alan Lazard fans out there, I think Simi Cobbs yeah. kind of fits fits that kind of role as well, um, which I wouldn't say is a compliment or a diss. It's just they're very similar in terms of, like, being possession wide receivers who are not very fast, but they're able to kind of box people out and, you know, win contested catches and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of what Simi Cobbs kind of brings to the table skill set-wise, uh, which is a skill set that can win in the NFL. Um, it's just there, is, there isn't a ton of uh, – multiple dimensions to it is the only sort of thing. Um, he's the most multidimensional player from, from a lot of stuff I've seen. Um, the quarterback they have there in Richard uh, Lego, Lego, uh, I'm kind of eh on him. Uh, I think he's a big, tall, white quarterback, so there's definitely some stuff with that, but I just am kind of indifferent with him. Uh, defensively speaking, the two main guys that I've liked the most, Tigray Scales at linebacker, is kind of the main sort of defensive player that I've I've, I've really liked at Indiana. And then the other guy is Rashard Saint at cornerback, who has I've kind of been off and on with him in terms of liking him or not liking him um, for about four years now. So yeah, but, well, I I like Fant, but I like him as a you know fifth sixth rounder that in the right system, I think he could be, you mentioned uh, Allensworth as a, a, you know, potential zone corner. I could see the same for Fant. He seems to be better where he can keep his eyes, you know, on what's going on and not have to turn and run and lose sight of, you know, where the play is going and things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because uh, he kind of gets lost. Yeah, he kind of gets lost. <laughs> sometimes right. but which is weird because he actually kind of i don't know has has some athleticism to him you know like he's not yeah like super yeah, he's, unathletic he's, he's not a you know he's not an elite athlete he's not gail carter or rod woodson or something but he's a i think he's above average athlete he's at least as good an athlete maybe a better athlete than a guy like chris harris jr or um you know who's Done. He's a better athlete than Malcolm Butler. I mean, there's lots of zone corners who, or and even some man corners who are no more athletic than Fant is. I'll put it that way. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, so yeah, that, those kind of dynamics kind of going um, on between those two teams. But but yeah, I mean, I like Indiana. I mean, I like Tigray Skills and Timmy Cobb Jr. I think those are guys that would be like solid kind of day day two, three-ish, you know, um, in terms of, like, where they might end up for the most part. Most likely probably day three um, for, both of, for both of them, um, potentially. But I do kind of like what both of the uh, – what they both bring to the table. Like, if they ended up being – like, if Simi Cobb Jr. became a starter somewhere or T. Gray Scales became a starter somewhere, I wouldn't really be that surprised um, if, if either one of them kind of ended up 
being an NFL starter somewhere. Okay. Uh, let's see. I don't remember some of the other rivalry games that took place. Uh, let's see. Well, I don't know if it's so much a rivalry, but Oklahoma played Kansas. That seemed odd. That seemed – I was like, what? How was, how was this allowed to be scheduled for, you know, the – whatever. I mean, if there was ever – this would have been the time to have Bedlam scheduled, but whatever. Um, but we've talked enough about Mayfield. Who are some of the other Sooners worthy of mention? And if there are any Kansas prospects, I'd love to know who they are as well. Well, in terms of Kansas, because I've seen Kansas, because I, I usually I usually force myself to watch Kansas at some point. Um, usually not by gunpoint, so don't worry about that. But Stephen Sims Jr. at wide receiver, I think, is a fun kind of slot guy. You know, in terms of a slot wide receiver. Um, defensively speaking, Joe Deneen or Deneen Jr. I think. Kind of like that. He's kind of a solid, kind of Ben Henney type, right? Um, saw how that went. Uh, but yeah, he he definitely kind of has that sort of sideline to sideline kind of feel to him. Kind of tough, gritty kind of guy. Uh, Dorrance Armstrong, for whatever reason, I don't know what happened to him this year. And I only say that because he didn't quite get any more he didn't really get bigger didn't really get stronger uh he his situational awareness kind of went down a bit um he just kind of came off as like a guy that was like trying to coast through the year until the draft that's kind of how i felt about him this year which at kansas is not something you want to do if you're at kansas you want to go out guns blazing you know like that that's how you want to go out uh, you don't want to go out, you know, with a whimper, uh, and hopefully people remember who you are um, at the end of the year. And that's my only sort of issue with with, uh, with Armstrong um, is that he just didn't quite, for, what, for whatever reason this year, just was not really uh, pushing the envelope in terms of what he was bringing to the table um, physically and mentally um, for the most part. Um, in terms of Oklahoma, uh, other than Mayfield, who is amazing, by the way, just, you know, just so you know, uh, if, if you haven't already been told that. Uh, Orlando Brown at tackle definitely kind of is cool. Uh, Mark Andrews, who kind of reminds me like Jason Morrow, but like a poor man's Jason Morrow to a certain extent, uh, kind of an oversized kind of wide receiver, tight end-ish guy. Uh, defensively, Ogbani is the only guy who really sticks out defensively for me. Uh, I know there's been some people that have tried to get on, like, Stephen Parker, who can, you know, occasionally sticks out. I know there's some Emmanuel Beal kind of guys out there, but there really isn't any defensive guys at Oklahoma. Um, it's been a while since I've found an Oklahoma – like, Aaron Colvin is probably the last Oklahoma defensive player that I actually kind of liked, you know, for the most part. Uh, and Ogbani kind of – is is the next man up because I do I do like him I think he's very Alex Okafor ish in terms of uh, like athleticism and kind of what it brings to the table sort of a situational kind of pass rusher type but uh, but yeah I mean that's 
that's really Oklahoma to me. Um, big guy, obviously, Baker Mayfield. Orlando Brown has some cool stuff. Mark Andrews definitely kind of, you know, sticks out as well. Um, and Ovania. But, um, but yeah, but there really isn't a ton else for the most part uh, with, with the program. Gotcha. Good. Uh, let's see. NC State, UNC, and I guess we'll touch on maybe one or two more before we close it out. Obviously, Ryan Finley is why some people came to the party, but take me through, um, take me through it. Right. Well, Ryan Finley is going to be a day two pick. So, I think I'm calling my shot. I guess. I guess that's what you you know vault me right been a while since people did vault me maybe we should start another vault me you know cult like you know thing um because i haven't seen a lot of vault me vault me's gone out of style maybe we should bring it back you know we got we got those 140 extra characters so um you know, could you know be, be more specific uh but yeah i mean uh, ryan finley to me i think is a day two quarterback i think he's a guy that uh if you run a particular type of offense if you need a starter uh, potentially right away, you know, because you kind of bring, you know, like a Cody Kessler kind of guy um, or that sort of guy. Because I think people really underrate these guys or Jacoby Brissett because, you know, these are quarterbacks that, yeah, they don't have amazing physical gifts. They don't really do that. But mentally speaking, they can run the offense. They can call the plays. They get people lined up. Uh, you know, they make the right call to cha- even change in the run play. They make the right call to call the right run play. Um, you know, to make sure that they're not wasting downs. Um, and that's what Ryan Finley is. He's a guy that can run the offense, can execute the offense. Um, is he a guy that's, that's going to be, like, amazing or elite? Probably not. Um, but when you're talking about the way quarterbacks are now in the NFL, uh, getting the guy that can execute the offense is good enough. Just look at Case Keenum, you know, on the Vikings. He can execute the offense. That's all he has to do. Like, sure, he does some extra stuff here and there, but if you find a guy that can execute the offense, you can go a long way, um, you know, in the NFL. So, especially if they're the right type of scheme. So, that's definitely kind of my feelings, I guess, with him. Uh, Jalen Samuels, of course, another sort of kind of H-backy, uh, Y-back, uh, wide receiver. So, I'm, I'm mainly seeing him as a wide receiver. My only issues I've always had with him on film is I don't really see him running a ton of routes. Um, you know, so you kind of have to evaluate his route running as a tight end, which is just weird because he's not going to be playing tight end. So he's just kind of odd from that kind of perspective. I do like his run after the catch ability. I like those other sort of things. I just haven't quite – like if he gets invited to the senior bowl or something like that, um, I think that that might – or shrine game or whatever, I think you get more of a feel for him in terms of his ability to run routes, um, uh, to run different – you know, kind of the route tree and stuff like that. No, for the most part. Uh, then, of course, you got Tony Adams at guard. Um, he's another guy that, that's also kind of stuck out to me uh, in terms of that team. Defensively, of course, by Bradley Chubb. Uh, Chubb has definitely been a pretty amazing year for him, of course, uh, in terms of, you know, breaking records and doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, a guy at safety that is not this year, but probably next year or the year after that, is probably Jarius Moorhead. You know, he's kind of like a tall, kind of lanky Josh Jones-type uh, safety who's kind of stuck out a little bit here and there. Still kind of young, you know, still kind of figuring stuff out. Uh, 
but he definitely is a guy that I, I've, you know, I've kind of liked him off and on, you know, when I've seen him on film. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much North Carolina state uh, in terms of the prospects. I think there's a lot of really good prospects um, this year for them, um, especially guys that might get like Chubb and, uh, and Finlay, I think will probably end up being top 100 players, you know, which for NC state is saying a lot because normally you don't, you know, it's not, it's not the norm recently anyways for NC state. Uh, you know, to have two top runner players. It doesn't always happen. All right. I'm trying to think if there's, as you said, Carolina, obviously, a year away, young team with some talented talented players, but very few of them are, are draft eligible. Oh, you mean okay. with uh, the, tar- the, the Tar Heels? Yeah, yeah, yep. I was saying it's a you mean, know, pretty young squad, but... It's pretty young. Uh, I mean, MJ Stewart, I still think is, you know, to, to, in terms of, like, top draft eligible guys, I, I, I definitely right. MJ Stewart is that guy. Um, Donnie Miles at safety, though, I'm not sure. I think he got injured. I'm not 100% sure. But Donnie Miles at safety also kind of stuck out a little bit. Um but yeah, offensively, that's the only issue with, with uh, North Carolina is they hit that sort of, you know, it happens all the time, but as you know, but North Carolina literally lost everybody last year. You know, uh, they lost all their wide receivers, you know, all the wide receivers that we've been talking about forever, you know, were gone. Ryan Switzer, gone. You know, Bug Howard, gone. Of, you know, uh, in terms of all the guys that were there. Uh, so they got new wide receivers. They don't have the same quarterback. You know, Mitch Trubisky obviously, but, you know, left. Uh, defensively, lots of different changes as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's really just the MJ Stewart show. Um, well, I think it's, you know, a solid cornerback. And Donnie Mons as well, I think, has some, you know, he's solid. I mean, to me at least, I mean, I think there's some um, solid kind of safety, uh, free safety kind of stuff with him. Um, or Bentley Span at left tackle is another sort of guy um, who's kind of weak. But uh, but I do think there is some athleticism stuff you might play around with, I guess, with him. But um, but yeah, I, I'd say North Carolina is probably, like you said, probably a year away, kind of young um, for the most part. But um, but I do think that MJ Stewart probably has the best shot to kind of be a top 100 guy um, out of everybody. Okay. Gotcha. And. A game that I watched, not for just one player, but because there was only one player that I wanted to take, take at least one more look. Uh, SMU played uh, Tulane. And first of all, Tulane, Tulane has gotten better. Uh, that was once, I would say, be, that was the bottom 10 program probably at one point. And, you know, they're not killers exactly, but they, that's a more representative program than it used to be. And obviously SMU has, you know, interesting, fun offense to watch. Uh, ben Hicks makes some some fun throws at times. But uh, take me through SMU and, and Tulane. Yeah, well, uh, when SMU, I mean, definitely Cortland Sutton. Um, sticks out the most. 
This year, for whatever reason, the production Wait, was it, Tul- it was Tulsa, wasn't it? Not Tulane. My, 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 oh. It was Tulsa, wasn't it? I'm trying to remember who they were playing. Oh, um, let me, yeah, let <laughs> it was me, either let me. Tulsa or Tulane. I, I, uh, I, I should have remembered which game, which team it was. I think it might have been actually Tulsa, now that I think about it. But, yeah, go ahead. Oh. Oh, so it wasn't SMU? It was SMU, but I'm, I'm trying to – I might, oh, have, I might have. I might have been Tulsa. Right, 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 right. Well, let me let me just double check with the help of Google. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Well, Tulsa Tulane was SMU. Tulane. It was Tulane. So, it was Tulane. Okay, good. I thought it was. You don't have to worry. Yeah. You don't have to worry anymore. Uh, you yeah. know, about you. You know about you know like stuff like Maryland is. Not in the big – wait, what? Maryland's in the big – you don't have to worry about that you know, anymore. <laughs> um, in terms of, like, memory stuff. Yeah, yeah, SMU, Tulane. Uh, yeah, SMU, I mean, Cortland Sutton definitely kind of sticks out there. I mean, to me, as I told everybody last year, that he's better than Mike Williams. At the very least, he's Mike Williams, but he can do more things. Um, you know, uh, a little bit more deceptive, uh, a little bit more nuance to him you know, uh, if you will. So, and I still feel that way about him. He kind of had a downer year, you know, kind of kind of like a Juju Smith-Schuster kind of year uh, where, you know, really great production as a sophomore and then this year kind of dipped. Um, but I still think he's, you know, he still brings kind of the same skill set uh, for the most part. Uh, defensively, I'm still a big fan of Jordan Wyatt at cornerback. Um, kind of, Maybe he's a safety. Maybe he's a zone. I mean, it's really hard to tell. I see him more as like a zone corner, um, kind of a Tez Tabor type. I mean, he has the same kind of style as Tez Tabor. It's just he's white. Um, that's really the only difference. Um, if if I mean, if Jordan Wyatt was playing at Florida, you would have a ton of people going, "Oh my gosh!" You know, we got to get that. You know, we got to get that Jordan Wyatt because um, he just has that style. You know, style of play. You know, kind of aggressive zone corner type. Um, not the fastest. You, you know, he definitely is going to lose and, like, uh, attract me, but definitely kind of brings that kind of, you know, instincts to the table, uh, you know, make plays that kind of way. And I guess the last guy, at least defensively speaking, that really stuck out to me was Justin Law- uh, Lawyer or Lawler. Um, he's kind of the type there. He's not amazing, but I could I could honestly see him being, like, a round six or a round seven kind of guy. Um kind of similar to the guy that was drafted from um, Eastern Michigan last year in terms of like a pass rusher. Like the Lions might draft Justin Waller, you know, that kind of thing. Because, you know, he's kind of a gritty kind of guy. Um, doesn't have an amazing plethora of pass rush moves, but has some effective ones. Um, but he just kind of brings that kind of stuff to the table. So, um, but yeah, but I do, I do like Sutton. Uh, Wyatt the most in terms of that group. In terms of Tulane, uh, you know, I'm still a Perry Nickerson fan, you know, a quarterback mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Uh, he's he's one of those guys that I think might get drafted by the Patriots or whatever. Like, I keep, you know, I don't know. He just has that sort of appeal because the Patriots, the Patriots are kind of like the hipsters of the draft community um, in terms of, like, you know, the players that they draft sometimes, you know, like, because they just have that sort of – in the sense that sometimes they draft terrible players, like they have poor taste at times, but sometimes they're good. Sometimes they, they draft a, sometimes they think outside the box and they get somebody good. Um, And he, and that definitely kind of, 
Perry Nickerson is that to me. He's like a hipster cornerback. <laughs> you know, because you don't hear anybody on the streets talking about Perry Nickerson um, as a as a uh, as a top ten or a top twenty cornerback. You know, um, in your rankings, but I kind of have him in that, you know that area. Um, in terms of like offensive players, I think Don, uh, Dontrell uh, Hilliard is kind of decent. I think as a running back, uh, they also have uh, Ter- uh, Ter- Terran um, Incolade or Incolad, I think a wide receiver. He's another guy that kind of stuck out a bit to me, but but it honestly is is Perry Nickerson show uh, for the most part. I, I really like mm-hmm. him, and um, I don't know if you saw anybody else because I didn't actually catch that 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 game. But um, if there was any other kind of telling guys that you that you kind of liked. Amongst guys that I feel confidently will play in the league for years, Perry Nickerson, yes. I mean, that's in Tulane's defense or whatever term you want to use, this is one of the more talented Tulane squads I've seen since Tulane was really, really, really good back under Coach Bowden in the, in the 90s. Uh, they aren't anywhere close to that. But it's the best I've seen in quite some time. I'll say that much. They've got some fringe prospects. You know, guys that might get invited to, and probably will get invited to, you know, like a Saints camp or something. But, but no. Uh, in terms of guys that definitely should be drafted, it's Nickerson, and the, the list sort of begins and ends there. Uh, and then SMU, you know, has a, a handful of other guys. But, uh, but as you pointed out, uh, correctly pointed out, the only one, you know, that's going to be. You know, a top, probably a top 30 pick and possibly, you know, a top 20 pick, obviously, is uh, is the aforementioned Mr. Sutton. Um, if, are there any people or or any games that you think I might be forgetting? Hmm. Hmm, let me... Check. Um, yeah, I don't – yeah, I don't really think so. So, uh, yeah, definitely a lot of um, – yeah, not really. Okay, well then, I guess we can touch on the ever-popular coaching carousel. Uh, Coach Mullen has sort of returned home in that he's you know, back where he first sort of made his name as a – well, I mean, he was with Urban Meyer at Utah, but people don't remember that quite as well, but obviously came to prominence uh, while the offensive coordinator was Florida. Uh, we know that someone's out at Texas A&M. We don't know who's in at Texas A&M. Um, Mississippi State, obviously, is now in search of a coach. Uh, Chip Kelly has apparently landed at UCLA. And I'm probably forgetting, you know, one or two others. But take me through uh, your thoughts, if you have any, on what's going on currently. Honestly, with, with Dan Mullen. Oh, in Arkansas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with, with Dan Mullen, uh, I actually like that move. I think, I think he's he's been kind of an underrated coach, 
uh, for the most, well, obviously, but you know, the whole deck, deck Prescott era, right. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald, um, pretty solid Michigan State and Mississippi State team. And on top of that, you had the Alabama game to look at as well. Um, it's it kind of evidence, you know, in terms of his ability to coach and stuff like that. Um, and also, you know, you kind of know what he brings to the table on offense, which is by far the biggest issue Florida's had since the Tebow era is how much, how stifled the Florida offense has become. Uh, you know, whether it's the quarterback position, <laughs> the Driscoll, <laughs> the Driscoll stuff. But, uh, but I do think that that's kind of a good sort of situation um, because of that. Because uh, I do think he's a good coach. And, uh, you know, going to Florida, you'll get, you get some, you know, the same recruits, but you might be able to get some of those bigger recruits. I think if Matt Carell um, ends up still committing there, because, you know, whenever you, have, whenever you have a coaching change, there's definitely a lot of different stuff that kind of goes through your mind um, as a recruit. But I think if he still ends up going there, I think Florida will probably be on the right track uh, for the most part. Uh, in terms of other sort of stuff, like Chip Kelly going to UCLA, that's kind of that's kind of crazy. I mean, could you imagine seeing Chip Kelly playing basketball with Adam Sandler? I mean, could you could you imagine? <laughs> like, um, that'd be kind of funny. But um, but yeah, I think that that that's kind of a cool move. Uh, uh, for the most part, uh, as far as Arkansas goes, would, would you say it was Brett uh, Brett Belima? Uh, Belima. Yeah. Bielema. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, Brett. Sorry about that. Okay. Yeah, as far as that goes, I've kind of called that for a while. Um, as you know, my personality is a lot of times I I I call for the for coaches' heads really really soon. I'm kind of that guy. I'm not even fans <laughs> of the team. I just kind of look at them and I I look at their demeanor and I kind of look what they do in the press conference and stuff like that, and I just go, yeah, this isn't gonna last. You know, like it's just one of those types of things. Uh, and he's been a guy that I've kind of been thinking, okay, this guy's, yeah, he's not going to be here, you know, two years ago. I was like, yeah, yeah, this is not, especially with the whole, I think the quote was, we're going to be like Alabama, you know, kind of like, <laughs> you know, we're going to run the football and we're going to do this. We're going to do that. When I just don't think that's what you do. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think you copy the blueprint and like Alabama, has won multiple champion, like, you know, again, <laughs> multiple championships, all that stuff. You don't copy, you don't improve on the blueprint. You don't improve on something that's been that successful. Uh, it's just going to be terrible. It's like, it's like the justice league trying to be the Avengers, right? Like it's just not going to work <laughs> because you're trying to copy something that's already been done. Well, um, it, like it's just it usually is going to fail. Uh, mo- most of the time it's going to fail. Uh, so I just kind of feel that way about that. And the same thing with like Butch Jones, you know, same difference with him. Um, I, I felt like, like it was kind of a, like this was coming, um, with him. Yeah, he narrowly avoided death last year, it seemed. I just didn't understand that other than the money, you know, cause they, they give, they give these coaches a ton of money. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, you shouldn't. I don't know. To me, I just think, I like, yeah, you you lose your job and you're unemployed and stuff like that, but you're unemployed with $10 million. So like, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) you know what I mean? So uh, like, yeah, it sucks, but 
you still got a lot of money, you know. Um, you know, and, and you'll get another job. I mean, but Jones is probably going to end up coaching again. You right? will. They all will. You know, that's the thing about being a coach. You know, you, you you'll you'll find you'll always have another opportunity for the most part, especially if you're SEC coach. Especially if you're SEC, you know, SEC coach. So, um, I definitely can kind of see that for them. As far as where Arkansas goes, I have no idea. Um, same thing with Tennessee. Same thing with all these other short programs. Is um, as far as like finding a coach for them and stuff like that, it's just really tough because you have to get a guy that really thinks outside the box. That's why Chip Kelly going to Tennessee, which he's not going to Tennessee, but, you know, that kind of was thrown out there that, oh, Chip Kelly going to the SEC, I always would thought, thought was really fun and just sort of a thinking outside the box kind of moment, you know. Like, you're not going to to get, like, a spready offensive coordinator or, uh, or, or just a guy who's just different um, – you know, it's just something that's gonna have you stand out from the crowd, um, especially. So, um, so even though that didn't happen, that that that's always been kind of my uh, my mindset when it comes to SEC coaches and the carousel and stuff like that. Is they tend to go with these kind of bland, uh, you know, I mean they're not terrible coaches. It's just that they don't bring a vision to the table that they can or they have a vision but they don't have the ability to to bring it to action um because of whatever reason and that's that's always been kind of the issue with a lot of these coaches is they're perfectly fine coaches it's just that they don't quite have that next level ability because you know coaching's hard you know recruiting's hard all that stuff is hard um so they they just don't quite have all the resources to, to get it done you know Okay. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of interesting, interesting things that are happening, and of course, I always wonder why certain, like I said, certain names aren't invoked. I've always wondered why Tennessee didn't look faster, harder, whatever at Cutcliffe, who obviously ties to their program, knows how to build from, well, I won't say from nothing, but from not a whole lot, from from not too much. Knows how to build. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, okay. Uh, any any other things that have happened coaching carousel wise that were particularly interesting to you? Uh, surprising, funny, intriguing. Oh yeah, the la- I guess the last one uh, was Scott Frost to uh, Nebraska. Uh, yeah. Uh, for example, that's that sounds cool. That's not, I I like that. I like that. Um, I think because of what Sister Florida has done. I mean, Sister Florida uh, has been a pretty strong program, recruited the heck out of that program as well in terms of getting guys in there, you know. Um, you know, the quarterback they have there, you know, being from, uh, you know, Hawaii recruit and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, but I just like that. I, mean, I like that for uh, – and also it adds to the Big Ten continuing to be the, the dominant conference to me because I just think the best conference – in college, in college football, it's a conference that has the best coaches. So you think about the Big Ten now, you have Urban Meyer, you have Harbaugh, uh, you have Scott Frost now, um, you have Minnesota's coach. Like, you know, the list just kind of, you know, James Franklin, right? The list just keeps getting stacked in the Big Ten's favor, man, uh, in terms of coaches. So I think that that's, that just kind of helps my case. And again, I'm 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 in the SEC right now. I'm in the thick of it. 
And I always just tell these guys, like, the best conference is a conference that has the best coaches. And right now, all the SEC coaches are getting fired, and all the Big Ten coaches are getting hired, you know. So uh, that kind of, you know, kind of tells you something in terms of uh, the right. Big Ten. And it's only a matter of time until people start coming for, for Jeff Brom. Uh, I, I think he's yep. one of the better young coaches out there. And, of course, you have Matt Campbell doing what he's doing at Iowa State. And, like I said, it seems like it's only a matter of time before somebody comes looking for them. Uh, any other final thoughts or any other things that you're working on that you'd like to throw out there? Hmm. Final thoughts. Well, as far or as schedule goes, okay. yes. right, right. As far as schedule goes, uh, you definitely have the championship, the championship week, you know, which of course is, you know, this week coming up and then it's data collection like crazy. And then finally, uh, doing all the like finalizing, like actually beginning to finalize stuff. Um, so that definitely is going to be coming over the course of the next two weeks uh, in terms of that kind of stuff. So we'll know more than we knew, you know, a couple of weeks ago or whatever, um, especially about the teams that are terrible. Because, you know, if you're a team that's not going to a bowl game, like there's no shot, it's not happening, uh, then you're pretty much will be finalized. So I like to stuff like that. But, uh, but it also gives the opportunity to kind of go back and look at those teams. Um, because, you know, look at Aaron Jones, right? Aaron Jones is on a terrible team. He's a really good running back, but he's on a terrible team. So you kind of go back and you kind of look at those guys as well um, in terms of process. But that's a lot of stuff I'm working on. Um, definitely getting close to finishing up the free agency data work and, and, and uh, in terms of NFL free agency and, and punters, kickers, stuff like that. Uh, data, I'm going to be adding that that layer of stuff, punchers and kickers, because again, I just like to have that satisfaction of, Oh, you even got punchers and kickers. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I got punchers and kickers. Same thing goes with this year too. I'm going to have a lot of uh, punting and kicking um, data as well uh, for all the guys. So, but yeah, so that's, that's pretty much my role right now. I've been just, you know, collecting stuff, collecting data, working on that kind of stuff. Um, got a little bit into FCS stuff. Uh, you know, kind of working my way, actually doing a full-blown data collection on the FCS as well. So when I get done with that, which might not be until December, I'm going to be honest, because um, it's it's a lot of schools, but I just kind of want to yes. get the main, you know, not the Division Two either, because that's just way too much, but just like, you know, the Big Sky and, uh, you know, all the kind of major Grand Valley. Right, right. Yeah. Just kind of get the major ones out of the way and just get all that stuff done and then look and then, you know, and then go from there. Um, so I'm definitely kind of working on that, which that might take a little bit longer. Just because you don't have – the thing about the FBS data is you just go to one site, which is called College Football Reference, and you just go from there. You know, when it comes to FCS, you have to go to every single conference website and then go – you know, like it, it, it's a longer drawn-out process. You know, it's, it's just a – more tedious process, you know. So that that's really all it is. Um, but um, but yeah, so I'm definitely working on that as well. So I'll probably have that sometime in December, uh, most likely. And I'll send you a thing, you know, a link for it as well, so you can kind of look at it and you know, um, kind of go from there. So, but um, yeah, that's all the stuff I've. Yeah, that's all the stuff oh, I've really been working question. on. Yeah. One last question. It's not really a call-in question, but it's sort of like a, a Twitter question. Somebody was asking if your work, your data work on the numbers for Carson uh, Wentz and Jared Goff led you to believe that one or both of them weren't going to make it long-term, and 
my understanding was that was not the case, but I, I, you know, once again, I, I'm not, I'm not well, looking at your data. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing I could say for Carson Wentz, Carson, Carson Wentz had the high school production stuff, but he, he didn't have FBS production because obviously he wasn't an FBS player. Because um, that's one one aspect of my data that I want to work on is, is getting all the FCS data so that I'm able because like. People don't get this, but I can't take Carson Wentz's data and compare it to FBS guys because he didn't play in the FBS. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I have to take FBS guys, and and by FBS, I mean everybody. Every quarterback that you probably know about, Bill, that nobody else knows about, I have to get all their data, all their data, get a large enough sample size as well, uh, and then compare it to that, and then actually start to make some – like I would probably go all the way back to like Tony Romo, for example, because he's probably like one of the, or maybe even further, like maybe Kurt Warner even, you know, just go even further than that, which would ideally would be where I want to go. And the main reason why is because those guys were successful. You know, those were guys that came from that level right. of competition and ended up being right. successful. So you'd be able right. to kind Joe of see. Flacco and, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Joe Flacco, you know, all those other sort of guys. Um, you, probably won't or, go, you probably won't go go all the way back to Phil Sims, but he's another one. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah probably not. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not that far back. Although it is, it is possible once I, you know, once I get a bunch of minions and stuff like that, you know, and start doing that stuff. But um, but uh, but yeah, but that's the only sort of thing with Carson Wentz is I don't have enough data to really compare him to all the FCS guys, uh, with without having the sample bias there, you know, because you don't have a lot of, you know, you don't have enough players, um. But the high school stuff was fine. You know, his high school production was fine. It's just you had that unknown because he was a he was a FCS guy. Um, with Jared Goff, his high school production was teetering on the edge a bit. Um, he was like two points away from the starter threshold, and the starter threshold is just for guys like Kirk Cousins. Um, Brock Osweiler and stuff like that. And the only other thing I say about high school production data is it's definitely a large sample size, like 7,000 plus quarterbacks in it um, since 2004. But it is not as – it is one of those things that I would like to have more data. Like I would, I would like to extend it out to the 90s, you know, for example. Um, but I am hitting that kind of wall where I can't because it's just not there. Like the data is just not there in terms of high school – data in the 90s in terms of it being freely available um, only because like I want to know Drew Brees' high school production I want to know Aaron Rodgers and you know Tom Brady and all those other guys um, but it just isn't freely available um, because of just they just don't collect it and keep track of it um, except for like records and stuff like that like they'll keep track of stuff like if you have a quarterback in like the 80s who threw for like 8,000 yards they'll have his name there but if you're talking like touchdowns interceptions not so much. Interceptions, by the way, probably one of the hardest one of the hardest things to get about a high school quarterback, other than their birthday, is how many interceptions they threw. You know, because they don't want to tell you. <laughs> they don't want to tell you. Um, so that's that's the other sort of thing. But um, but yeah, Jared Goff was a guy. He he just had he had really good college production. Obviously, you know, really high end, like ninety plus, and his high school production was only about two points away from that starter threshold, which is kind of in the margin of error to be honest so um he wasn't like so like he wasn't terrible in high school he was above average it's just that he didn't quite hit 
the threshold, which is where all the other past players hit. Um, so, and he might end up being that new player. And as I try to tell people as well, like, you know, just because a guy doesn't hit that threshold, if he becomes a new outlier, like if he becomes a new bottom, you know, if you will, um, of, of what's expected, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. It just kind of helps things in the future, you know. Like, I'm I'm willing to admit, hey, if Jared Goff goes on to become a really great quarterback and he had really great college production, which he did, and his high school production was at this certain area, then the next time I do my evaluation, I'm going to be having that as a new kind of benchmark, you know, um, or like the, the new kind of bottom kind of threshold, that kind of thing. Um, so I guess that's the only way I kind of explain it, you know, um, is you're always going to have those guys. And it's not like lowering my standards. It's just admitting that I don't know everything because I don't. And whenever I have a new sort of data set or whatever I have, um, I, I have to be willing to figure out where that flexibility can be with that kind of thing, um, if you will. So but that's only I would say about Jerry Goff. And besides that, it's only been one year, guys. RG3 was amazing one year and then was terrible. Um, Andrew Luck, uh, who supposedly was the next John Elway, right, um, has yet to do anything that John Elway ever did in his career up to this point. Um, and I'm not saying that Andrew Luck is a terrible quarterback. I'm just saying that we tend to jump to conclusions on guys in the NFL. Prisoners, way, prisoners of the moment is the term you're looking for, I think. Way too soon. You know, we tend to – like, and, and being a data guy, that's what I notice a lot is patience. People don't got patience. You know, they don't got it. Um, even Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is a guy that has flaws in his data, even right now. He's amazing on third down, by the way. Like, he has one of the best third down conversion rates in the NFL right now. First down and second down, eh, he's about average, you know, in terms of those conversion rates. So, is Carson Wentz amazing, or is he just amazing on third down? So, you know, again, you have to let, 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 let him live, right? You know, give him the space and just see what happens, you know? So... Um, that's something I would say is, is we shouldn't jump to conclusions on guys over one year worth of data. We should judge them based on what they do in their career and everything else like that. Judge them like a Hall of Famer, right? Like judge them like as you would a Hall of Fame. If you were, you know, voting in a guy to be a Hall of Famer, you wouldn't judge him based on, oh, well, he was amazing in 2017. I mean, Carson Wentz was amazing, so he should be in the Hall of Fame. No, you don't judge him by that. You judge him by what happens in his career, you know. Um, so that's only I would say. There's a lot of these guys like Jared Goff and Wentz and, and Dak Prescott and, you know, all these guys. Give them some time before you start jumping to conclusions on these guys, um, you know, for the most part. So that, that's only I would say as well is, is that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Perfect. Well, I am putting the final touches on my postseason, uh, all underappreciated and all emerging team. And, you know, if the was it if the creek doesn't rise and whatever, um uh, should be done with that very soon. As always, it is an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. Um, I look forward to this and like I said, nobody does it better than you. Jim, have a wonderful rest of your evening, sir, and I will talk to you soon.